question for the mothers out there. Have you ever experienced a fierce wave of anger that was triggered in a split second by something seemingly benign like a spilled bowl of cereal? If so, you've experienced mom rage. Don't worry, you are not alone. In fact, Minna Dubin wrote an entire and quite fantastic book on the topic. In this episode, we get to sit down and chat with her all about her book, Her Mom Rage, Our Mom Rage. It's quite cathartic. Let's dive in. I'm super excited um, about I've been this waiting. Episode. I have been waiting. We booked this in like this book a while ago, and I've been so excited to talk to Minna. Yeah, yeah. It all started with a New York Times article she wrote in 2019, and I feel like I remember yeah. stumbling upon it and just felt so, like, seen and validated. I, I I feel the exact same way. I'm like, if I didn't read it in 2019, I read it in 2020. But whenever it was that I read I know I read it before the pandemic. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. And just felt very, and very she has seen. a whole book. So let's don't delay. Yes. And bring her own. So let me... um share a little about Minna. Minna Dubin is a writer and mother in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Salon, Parents, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Romper, The Forward, Hobart, Mother Magazine, and Literary Mama. She is the recipient of an artist enrichment grant from the Kentucky Foundation for Women. As a leading feminist vo- voice on Mom Rage, Minna has appeared on MSNBC, Good Morning America, The Tamron Hall Show, NBC 10 Boston and NPR. Minna, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. We've had this on the books for a while and I have been anxiously awaiting in a good in a good anxious way, anxiously awaiting this interview because we have so many questions and just the the topic of your book, the general concept of mom rage at least among some of my friends, is still a little ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I want to back up just to let people know this whole concept, or you listened to another podcast you were on, and you said you really started to feel like you hit a nerve after you wrote an article for the New York Times back in 2019 on mom rage. And it went viral, if I believe. Um, yes. Yeah. And then in 2020, and that was even before the pandemic, in 2020, I believe the New York Times re-ran it and then asked you to write a second article, a follow-up article to Mom Rage, and that went viral too. Right. Um, yeah. So you you hit on something. Um, so can you kind of break down for us what what is Mom Rage? Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, Yeah, mom rage, it's really simple. Like mom rage is just maternal anger. Um, But the rage part, as opposed to calling it mom anger, uh, is about this feeling of being out of control. There's an out of control element to mom rage where you feel like, uh, like you are not the one steering the ship. Like the rage is happening to you. Almost like uh, one mom I, t- I interviewed described it as, uh, I think, like a monster that lives in her throat. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, there's something that happens that almost feels like out of body a little bit where you're like, oh, I know I should. I'm going down the wrong path. But like you almost like you kind of can't control that you're going down the path. And then you're like, ah, why did I do that? That was terrible. You know, then you feel horrible about it and guilty that you like 
you know, slam the door at your husband or your children or, you know, your spouse. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so that, that's like, that's it. Like mom, the concept of mom rage as, as an idea is not that complicated. Like it's really just like the fury that is very common that mothers feel what's more complicated is what's behind it. Like what's causing the mom rage that it's not just that on the surface, it looks like you're mad that the kid's not tying their shoes and you said, tie your shoes, tie your shoes, tie your shoes a hundred times. But what's underneath that are like, are the impossible expectations of modern motherhood, what Mm. is expected of mothers these days. And then also, um, the societal neglect of mothers, the way that we're not supported, like there's no, you know, paid family leave, there's no, uh, you know, health insurance cuts off around for motherhood, basically at like six weeks, like you're done. It's like, okay, go ahead. Um, you know, all sorts of things, no universal childcare. And then also this, the neglect of mothers within the family structure, mm-hmm. like from the spouse, from the grandparents, like that, that we're, that we're very isolated in our nuclear families. And we're all sort of like mothering, what feels like alone yes yeah absolutely yeah some examples you gave um were people who said my spouse is great my partner is great but it it's the you could tell the weight was on them you know the bulk of the responsibility fell on them and so even though you may have a great partner or spouse that still starts to generate some rage yeah, I mean, I think so, so many, it was such a common thread, like so many of the moms that I interviewed were like, you know, before they would say anything about their partner, especially if they were uh, a woman married to a man, uh, it was like, he's the best dad, like he's a, you know, he's a great partner, he's a great husband, but, and then there was always like this huge but, like, but I cannot fight the imbalance of like the labor in the home, like, like his job is still the thing that like our family revolves around. I'm still making dinner seven nights a week. Like I'm still doing, you know, the summer camps, the after school programs, the extracurriculars, like doing all the texting for the play dates, making family functions mm-hmm. happen. Like the like the labor that falls on mothers is still completely imbalanced, even if you have a partner who's like even even for the dads who like identify as feminists like we mm-hmm. have come such a long way from like the 1950s stereotype but and dads are doing more labor wise than they did then like you know and so and so there's this feeling like I shouldn't complain because like my husband does so much more than my dad did and I'm not yes. even talking about yes. it just in general yes yes but, you know but moms are also doing so much more labor than they were doing in the 50s and we're working full-time jobs right yeah exactly yeah yeah and and there is that expectation to just be able to balance all of it and like you said without without depending on where you live um you know maybe you don't have family nearby that I feel like that's more common um and also, depending on, like, your community and neighborhood structure, you might not have any even actual support or just emotional support um, from, like, that camaraderie between between mothers. Yeah. Right. And there's this – I think there's just this, like, social pressure around motherhood that, like – it's natural and you're supposed to know what to do. You're supposed to be great at it. It's a blessing. So you should not complain about it. Right. And so like 
I think all of the struggles that mothers feel that that every mother for the most part is feeling in their isolated little homes like that we're not supposed to talk about it or show it yeah we're all feeling the same way but yeah but isolated in our little home yeah yeah. yeah. So it, there's like, there's a shame element to, to the harder feelings around motherhood as well. So, and so then we feel sort of silenced and bad about it. Yeah. So I, I am so curious backing up to your original article. Um, what led you to pitch that article idea or how did that article idea come to fruition if you collaborated with your editor on it? I already had that first piece was called The Rage Mothers Don't Talk About. And it was an essay that was from uh, a manuscript from a book that I that still lives on my hard drive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That book uh, had, you know, it it was a book of lists, actually, about motherhood. And it had, you know, six or eight essays that went in it. And that was just one of them. And New York Times Parenting was a new section. It had just begun. And now it's now it's gone. Uh, but it was really great for those few years that it was around, especially during the pandemic when I feel like so many of us needed it. Um, and there was a call from, from Jessica Gross, who was the managing editor of that section for, you know, all sorts of things that she was looking for, but one of them was the harder parts of motherhood. And I had that essay and I just was like, I think this would be perfect. And I just sent it and to my shock, they said, yes. Wow. Wow. So it was wildly popular then, but it sounds like 2020 hit and mom rage grew and people started started finding this article again or came upon it. um, And then New York Times reran it and things just went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They reran it, I think, in in April 2020. So we've been in lockdown Mm. for, I don't know, maybe a month. And I mean, it was just, it was very good timing for that piece (laughs) because everyone was so stressed out and like, it was very difficult to be anyone at that period, but especially a mother, I think. Um, And then, and I started getting, you know, when I first published the article in September of 2019, I got a ton of feedback and all these people writing me from around the world. But once the pandemic hit, I got a new influx of emails from people. And so I realized that uh, something particular was happening around mom rage because of the pandemic. And so then I pitched them, I pitched the New York Times to write a second piece, uh, specifically that was about mom rage and the pandemic. And then I was interviewing moms. Um, Yeah, and I think it was just like, I don't think, mom rage is not pandemic specific. No. Uh, I wrote that piece you know, probably in 2017, it was published in 2019. So it has nothing to do with the pandemic. But I think what the pandemic did is that everyone who wasn't already feeling mom rage was definitely feeling it during the pandemic. And so the audience for that topic, just everybody got it all of a sudden that maybe wouldn't have gotten it. And like my friends were sending me like screenshots of all their like mom groups and all the different places that they live across the country being like, everyone is talking about this article. Like it was, it was very exciting. Oh, that must've felt so um, validating, but also so like, holy, like this is, I like I need to do something with this. Yes, yes, it felt both. It felt like it was exciting and like a little anxiety provoking. I I remember describing it as feeling like I was buzzing beneath my skin. Like it was just like it was so crazy to like have something I wrote get so much attention. Um 
And, and, and I think once I got all the responses from people, like that's the part that also surprised me was just, you know, when I first wrote that piece originally, I didn't really realize that it was this like international phenomenon actually. Uh, and, and the responses that I got from moms is what told me that this is, this is like, uh, an emotional crisis that's happening. Yeah. And, and so I didn't realize that when I first started writing about, about mom rage, I sort of just thought I, it was me. And so I was having sort of the same awakening that like the readers were having in a way. And so once I realized that I was like, oh, you know, well, an agent sort of was like, you need to write a book about this. And <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, but eventually I was like, no, there needs to be a book about mom rage and someone's going to write it. And it should probably be me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad yeah. you did. The, the whole book, there's just so much to, to unpack in the book. Um, and I, I want people to know, you know, I originally thought, okay, mom rage you know, I get it a lot just in the daily logistics and the kids not wanting what's for dinner and, you know, and just having to be the one to schedule all the doctor's appointments and, you know, all those kind of things. But what you also touch, or not just touch on, um, what's discussed in depth in the book is kind of the societies, the, the cause of this mom rage ultimately and it's society's pressure and expectations and kind of standards um that that's so interesting to explore and unpack yeah yeah I mean I think that like one of the things I realized writing the book is that like everything in our lives and in society pushes us towards this role of primary parent pushes mothers towards that role and that it's actually in some ways it's harder to refuse it because like the path like the road or the tracks I don't know what metaphor to use the tracks have been set mm -hmm. and so to like veer off and try and create some other like system for yourself and for your family is almost harder like you know like for example the school day ends at like three o'clock yeah. and the work ends at six o'clock right like and so the system is set up for one parent to be around and if they're not around and of course that's the mother and if they're not around then it's still on her to deal with that with those three hours whether she gets a nanny or whether she like yeah. sets up after school care or whatever like it just feels like everything has been set up for motherhood to feel like this right now and but it's all invisible like the setup is invisible the ways that that we're not supported and so we're also set up to feel like it's our fault mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes like like I would say as you were talking about the school day ending you know um because it is currently two o'clock um or almost two o'clock but you know the school day ends at three the work day ends between five and six and um, if you're really lucky, maybe it ends at 4.30. Um, and like you said, you have to come up with other plans for after school. And so in, in the case of my children, they go to after school care at their school. Well, when they don't want to go and they complain about it, who do they complain to? Me. They don't complain to anybody else. They complain to me about why they have to go. Even, even, even mommy, when you're working from home, why do I have to go? And it just, it like compounds the like the guilt or the mental the thought and the, the, yeah. of like how to handle it. And, you know, and I feel like I spend, 
I spend weeks thinking about, you know, not like fully, but you know what I mean, over weeks, over the course of a couple of weeks, I'll spend time thinking about like, okay, how can we shift this so they don't have to go to after school care? How can I train them so that they don't complain to me about after school care and just like swinging back and forth? Yes. So, and, and their yeah. dad does not. Yeah. Right. And, and I just feel like mothers jobs, you know, whether it's a full-time job or a part-time job or like moms are consultants or like, I feel like moms, we, I feel like mothers do so much to like where their job becomes sort of secondary in the family. You know, mm -hmm. they're the ones yeah. with like the flexible job. Like I just yesterday I was, I had a therapy session and I was on zoom with my therapist and I was like, I have to sign my kid up for summer camp. <laughs> right now like registration is right now. now so I just want you to know I'm like I'm here but I'm like half here yeah. you know like that's happening at the same time and I just feel like it's always like even if the mom like I talked to I talked to a mom who her and her husband both went to business school and she's the one who still is like she ended up taking the like less intense you know career track and like is the one who takes the kids to doctor's appointments like it's still laid out that way even for like high-powered professionals yeah yeah what i found interesting is like you have some statistics sprinkled throughout the book and and sorry to put you on the spot like this but but um it seems like there are some like situations in our lives and in be that in our personal lives or be that in our um in our society that kind of raise your risk of um experiencing mom rage can you go through do you like can you go through a couple examples of of that those kind of situations like for example uh sleep was one of them yeah um yeah, sleep was a big one. Uh, this woman, Christine O, who's in Victoria, Canada, does the, like, amazing uh, actual, like, social science research around mom rage. And she uh, did this study where she found out that the way that mothers, uh, either they are, their, the quality of their sleep and their children's sleep, and, and even if the sleep is good, but they feel that the quality of sleep is bad, is like a direct correlation uh, to rage. And what's interesting is that we don't, um, is that our sleep, like we don't think about it, but like even after nursing, like even if the kids aren't feeding in the night, like our sleep can be messed up for like 10 years mm -hmm. with, you know, some kids have like nightmares, night terrors. And like, I was up waking my kid up at like three in the morning, both my kids for three in the morning. So they wouldn't pee in the bed for years. Like I was waking up in the middle of the night, like maybe for like almost a decade or something, you know, and yeah. we don't think about just how much sleep is involved. Um, stress, you know, stress is a big one, uh, which is basically impossible. Right. You can't avoid that <laughs> so one. To take out of the picture. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, momage is really about, like, repeated aggravations. So, like, we don't think about the many times, like, by the time we explode, we forget the, like, 20 times before that, that, like, we said we'd responded perfectly, mm -hmm. right? Like, we, like, there, the kid was, like, tugging on our shirt, and we were like, just a minute, honey, just a minute, a mommy's on the phone. 
right? Like we forget all of those times when we were, when, when we handled things perfectly. And so by the time we explode, um, there have been just so many repeated aggravations. The other one I was thinking about is, is also anger. Like the, uh, the way that we have, that women are often socialized, um, oh my to gosh. Be, to like push down our anger. So like yes. part of the explosion of mom rage is, about being out of control with your rage because you have been pushing that anger down like all of these aggravations each one is like a small irritation a small irritation a small irritation and like each time you're like I'm not going to deal with that I'm not going to process that you know and there's all these ways that women you know are are taught that being angry is is very unattractive Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that uh it is not an appropriate emotion for women to express. And like in the workplace, women are, uh, you know, seen and, and there are all these studies where like women are seen as like having a lesser role if they're an angry woman. Mm-hmm. There was a study where they like watched people on the men who were angry that the study participants saw them as having a more powerful role. Mm-hmm. And when women are angry, they're seen as it being a character flaw, like she's a bitch or she's yeah. nasty. Mm-hmm. But when a man is angry, it's seen as, um, as a, there's a societal excuse for, or a social excuse for it. Like, well, he was yelling, but they weren't listening. Right. As opposed to he has an anger problem. So women, women are taught not to be angry. And then mothers are supposed to be like, so not angry, right? To be an angry mother is like, it's like the opposite of what we see mothers portrayed as in society. So to be an angry mother is like the worst kind of mother you can be. So there's just like, there's so much anti-anger that like by time that it's part of the reason that we explode is because we're not comfortable with anger. And so we don't deal with it until it just like pops out. I mean, you, you said that part about how women are not supposed to be angry and I, I mean, I could get very personal and go down a long, (laughs) a long rabbit hole around that, but I'll, I'll keep it a little high level. Um, and I will, I will say that, um, I have explored anger management therapy (laughs) and, um, in doing so, my mother said, oh, you know, um, my mother got divorced um, from my father when I was about nine years old. And she said, my divorce attorney gave me this great book. I'm going to send it to you. It's called, it's by Harriet Lerner. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called The Dance of Anger. So she sent it to me a couple of months ago. And, oh gosh. <laughs> and, and here's the thing is I'm not going to say anything bad about the book because I truly have only read about four pages of it. But the the opening part, it talks about the society and society's views of women, just as you were saying, of anger. And the the rage that started to boil inside of my body, I was like, I'm not in a, I'm not in a, and I had some other, you know, personal, like I'm going through another divorce. So I'm like, I had some other personal things going on. And I was like, I'm really not in a healthy place to read this at all. So I'm just going to put this down and I'm going to come back to it like another day or week or now we're talking like three months later. I still haven't reopened it. But the the general view, I mean, I could go on for hours. The general view that society has about women and not um, – and angry women and how uh, – being an angry woman and being an angry mother is just, I mean, the worst thing in the world apparently. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so so – in looking at mom rage in at my book, did it make you feel angry too? No, it made me feel validated. 
Oh, it made me feel a little angry too when we started getting into the societal <laughs> things. And it started making me think, because I feel like my kids are seventh and 11th grade. Um, and so I feel like, you know, everyone has the mom rage and the elementary and, to, you know, toddler, you know, with the day-to-day stuff. But as I've gotten older, my kids have gotten older and the daily tasks have gotten a little less, um, not a ton. But I feel like it's the bigger issues that are going on that do not support us, that just... And then the, the, um, the fact that we all just go along with it. Like it makes me mad that my friends are just, I mean, I'm going along with it, but my friends are just going along with it. And we're going along with these expectations to meet these demands to be quote unquote good mothers, but you can't not, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. I, I, and, and, and as you were saying, there's a lot of guilt, like, you know, there's so many things that if you let yourself do all the things that are expected, you know, if you go to all of the events and like mm. the school auction and all the PTA meetings and like the like t- like cello concert and the ballet and like, you know, you go to and, and I'm sure we all choose like the things that like we're going to prioritize. But like, I just feel like if you did all of the things that like is sort of expected it's an it really is like multiple full-time jobs to do all the things oh, yes 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 you know one of the if if there was a positive to COVID, but with the schools talking about being involved with the school one thing i found that was such a relief like when the kids did start to go back to school for like that next year or two they wouldn't have parent like there were no parent volunteers there were no class moms but like no class parties right. because you know we wanted to keep covid out and it was to me as a working mom it was such a nice relief there was no expectation to go to lunch you know it, it was just nice yeah yeah you know there was no books and bagels and no. like ran like three times a year where you show up and you like read to your kid I mean I sound like and I feel so bad to say that out loud like oh, I do read to my kid but like I read to my kid at home every day you know what I mean yes, like right. just like the expectations and it's all you know parents show up but it's like 90 percent mothers who are the ones showing up for these things you know yes yeah. I I I remember last winter I think it was I went to my older daughter's, um, it was her holiday party right before the holiday break in December. Mm -hmm. There was a dad there and I just like, I mean, I I was like, what? There's a, there's a dad here. You didn't even think about that being an option. No, I didn't think about that as an option at all. I was like, oh my gosh, there's a dad. Would your daughter have considered that an acceptable option? No, but this year their dad <laughs> went to both of their parties and I didn't go to them after that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was anyway, I just but I yes, very much so. But I think the thing about the thing about your book that was more validating to me was well, first, your original your original essay was like, oh, what I'm feeling is Uh, typical you know or others are feeling it and then like some of the statistics like the one that you and I were talking about earlier about um, maternity leave 
Mm. And like the val- like the statistics of, you know, someone who takes like a full maternity leave. So it was like getting to read some of that information that I was like, okay, you're it it's giving me a why. Like it's giving me a why that we are having this problem. And again, like I didn't get into the dance of anger beyond just like all I could see when I first started it was just like the patriarchy. And so that was where I was like, eh, we've got to close this book right now. Yeah, I'm not thinking this is a book you need to go back to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's lovely, but I just, it was, you know, it, it was not, it was not hitting, it was hitting the wrong buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Now the, this, I think in your book, you um, mentioned a study where it said that um, it documented that a long maternity leave decreased mother's depression by 18% even 30 years later. I mean, yeah. that's just... Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many studies that show both, like, the mental wellness increase for mothers, and then also there's equal ones around paternity leave of, like, the wonders that happen when dads take a, an extended paternity leave that's not, you know, I think dads in America take, like, an average of, like, five days or something. Mm. Um, and the studies show that like if they take a paternity leave like they're more involved in the kids life for the rest of for like the rest of their lives uh the labor division in the house is much more equal and they have a much lower rate of divorce wow <laughs> and wow. and like it's the same it's the same for mothers in terms of like their mental wellness like they're less likely to be depressed even 30 years later they're like uh Hospital admissions to hospitals goes down by a huge percentage. Uh, prescription drugs go down by a huge percentage. Like there's just like so much that happens if we get that break without the stress of like money. Yeah. Of, like I have to get back to work because I have to get paid. Yeah. Like that's like the one of the big things about maternity paternity leave is that you know so many places like e- even though we don't have federal paid family leave, which we should. Uh, one of the issues with family leave, even if you get it from your workplace, is that it's not always fully paid. Right. right. And so people can't take it. Yeah. Right. I had to take sick leave in order to be paid during yeah. mine. Yep. Yeah. Or you get um, you get like a percentage, right, of your pay, which at least for me at the time felt like luxurious because I had some friends who got nothing. Um, yeah. And they actually held my job for me. Um but then, in addition to only getting a percentage, they are still taking out all of all of the extra for all of the health insurance and that sort of thing. And so it's yeah, you know, much. yeah, it's at the end of the day, you're like, oh, all right, well, my, I guess I better get back to work. Yeah. Then my mind always goes to people who are hourly, right? You know, and don't have. I can't. I can't imagine the pressure you feel to get back to work when you, you know, when you're worried about you know, not only not getting paid, but still having your job too. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So Minette, where, how old are your kids now? And where are you in the world of, of your own personal mom rage? (laughs) My kids are seven and 11. Okay. Uh, So my older one is going to middle school next year. So I feel like I'm like entering a new phase of life. (laughs) Mine too. I'm terrified. (laughs) y'all better buckle up um and I mean I I'm definitely in a different place than when I wrote that first essay you know uh and yeah I feel like I live in a very different 
parenting world in some some ways like part of my rage which I talk about one of the chapters is about this idea of matrescence which is the life phase of becoming a mother where like everything changes and you're like become this whole new person and your like identity kind of flattens into just mom Mm -hmm. and I think that I mean there's so many factors for mom rage but I think that one of the really big factors for me was feeling like I had no other value mm-hmm. in the world except for my mothering. Mm-hmm. I like lost this big piece of myself of just like being this like complex, interesting person somehow. And so I think that like over the last however many years, like I have been doing this like really uh, intentional work to create a big full interesting complicated life for myself that's not just in this home Mm. yes yeah and so I feel like that work has been done like I'm like a full-time working writer right now uh you know like I just my kids are older they're easier like Mm -hmm. I mean they're big enough they'll just be like don't yell at me yes (laughs) I get that too don't yell at me yeah Yeah. why Um, are you yelling I feel like we, we we uh, yeah I'm in a different phase kind of of life it's not that I don't get angry and they don't get I don't get irritated when I've told my daughter to get dressed like 800 times and she's just like sitting there like splayed out and we have to leave in 15 minutes like Uh (laughs) it still happens but um yeah I think I have a little more reserves like I think I'm a little uh more like fed in all of the ways I also think that like while I was writing this book my husband had to take on a lot more of the labor Mm -hmm. because I just I just couldn't I couldn't and write this book because I was doing it under contract in like a year and a half and I think that some of there has been like and I think like also talking about this all the time and talking about labor like I think there has been a lot of labor shifting in our home and so even though I don't even know that I would say I'm the primary parent anymore. Like my home world has shifted in some ways, but that is is to say I'm not like 100% mom rage free, but I just think that like life is better. Yes. You set a goal for me and I don't know if I can ever do it, but I heard you, I believe it was on Zibby Owens podcast that I listened to. Um, You said you didn't know how it happened, but I think this fall, some your husband put down his name to be the contact for both your kids at school and so you aren't getting and I don't know if this is still going on but you weren't getting any emails about like class parties like assignments nothing like that from the school and it made you nervous which I was like oh I don't know if I could do this because I'd just be wondering yeah. what's getting yeah, dropped what's getting what? dropped I could um, not do that but I was like wow that's a goal that's great is that yeah. still going on it's yeah it's still happening um yeah it's a little stressful because then like <laughs> I'll find out something's happening like you know in three days or something or he'll bring it up and I'll be like oh you know tomorrow's books and bagels or whatever it is <laughs> and I'm just like ah because it's just less you know, I'm a calendar person. Like, mm-hmm, I feel like yeah. lots of moms, like, you, like, are forced to be that. And so, like, everything's in the calendar, like, a month in advance. And so we're, we just miss more stuff. But, I I mean, in some ways, I'm, like, aspirationally trying to be a dad. Like, because he's not stressed out that we missed books and bagels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he still feels good about himself as a dad. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't like, affect his self-worth. 
you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just breathe through it and be like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It's okay. My kids are going to be fine. Yeah. I think that is like the best line, aspirationally trying to be a dad. I love that. I absolutely love that. That is fantastic. I mean, because you're right. Everything you said is right. But I I am a very, these guys here know, I am a like diehard calendar person. I have multiple calendars. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked in your book um, how you pointed out, particularly for people who tend to be more planners and maybe somewhat perfectionist like um like these things aren't happening that cause the mom rage because we didn't do the proper planning because we didn't we put everything on our calendar we did the legwork we did the research yet it still it still happened things still happen that lead to that mom rage and i i appreciated that acknowledgement. yeah yeah and some of that's about control like i think you know for me, like I'm someone who can be, you know, I can definitely veer towards being a little controlling. <laughs> and one, I think one of I the exercises of motherhood is like this total relinquishing of control because you just cannot, you cannot control what's going to happen. You cannot control how your kids act. Like you can, you might, you're going to be late. Like they had a tantrum. Like you just cannot, there's so much out of your control. And so I think for people who, you know, are a little controlling or for like myself and perfectionists also like myself, um, motherhood can be a particular challenge. And for perfectionists, like, uh, you know, I hold such a high bar for myself, what I expect of myself. And so I can be a little bit self-punishing mm. when I don't meet the high bar I set for myself. And then I also put that high bar on the people that I love. Yeah. And yes. so I can be highly critical if they don't meet this bar. Yeah. And so I, I think, I yeah, I mean, so many things can cause mom rage, but like there's all these small factors that like can affect it. And I think that being like a little controlling and also perfectionism, which so many women have, like I think we are socialized in some ways to be perfectionists uh, can add to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that, that, well, we're socialized to be perfectionists, but also when you step into that role as a mother and a wife or in, you know, in my instance, like even as an ex-wife, you you still um you operate as like a sort of parent sometimes for your spouse or like I said in my case my ex-spouse and you operate or or like their secretary you know I talk about this with one of my friends like you're like their secretary and so you really are just like constantly being groomed to be the the no like the knower of everything. I know that's like not correct English, but like you know, I can't tell you. Even like my ex husband will text me and be like, "Hey, I can't. I I I screwed up that calendar invite that you sent me. Is that appointment at two or at three? And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Aren't you glad that you have me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I one of my friends we talk about it. She, she uses the term that like for. The mom is like, I forget, like the manager and the dad is the CEO. So like, even though the mom is like managing everything and like is holding all the open tabs of all the things that have to be done in that like executive assistant secretary way, like she still is sort of checking in a way, like I'm going to book this. Okay. Like there's this like, but they're like the, over, I don't know, that feeling. It's just like, I, I sort of hate that analogy because it feels so yucky, but I think there's some truth to it. Uh, 
yeah yeah i forgot what else i was gonna say about it but it you're it, you're right it does it feels it feels yucky but it's true oh yeah but what else i was gonna say there was a there was a mom that i interviewed and she wasn't the only one but i put her story in the book she was from australia and she was talking about her husband and how like part of her job in addition to learning how to be a mother even though no one taught her how to be a mother was to teach her husband how to be a dad how to be a parent mm. oh yeah that's so true that like yeah, like that. Like she was like, "Why is this my job to like teach him how to be a dad and how to like take care of our kid?" Right. It, like, and this guy's dad like had you know proudly would say like, "I never changed a diaper in my life," oh. you know. And so like his example, and you know that's not my experience with my own partner, but I think that you know it is for a lot of moms that like they have to sort of teach the dad what to do mm-hmm. and how to be a parent, like you know, to oversee them in this way where you're like, do you, for with the diaper bag or whatever, do you have this, do you have this, do you have that, you know? And like, yeah, there's just, I yeah. hear it all the time in like motherhood discussions around like um, letting the dad do the thing, even though he's going to do it subpar mm-hmm. according to like standards, because you have learned how to do the thing. You've like professionalized parenthood because you've gotten so good at doing the things, you know, how to do it really fast and like the most efficient and they're going to bumble through it. And so you like get frustrated, but then there's like, well, maybe you should just let him do it. Cause he's never going to learn if you're like on top of him and right. being like, forget it. I'll just do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, My fault though is I want to let him do it and mess up. But then I'm like, it's going to be me picking up all the pieces, you know, putting stuff back together, you know, like, and I just, I don't have the bandwidth to do that, you know, right. which isn't and, good. And one of, one of the things that the Australian mom said was, you know, if the dad messes up, it's the kid who, who like has to deal with that. And so she's like, either like, yeah, either I do it or my kid suffers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it feels like this double bind. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So insightful. Well, we are going. I mean, we to... could, I could go for hours. I know. I know. Sorry, man. We'll let you. We'll let you have your Friday back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you have more coming on this topic and and um or, or just in this space. But we're gonna make sure we link both of your New York Times articles, but and definitely the link to where they can get your book, um, as well as your website. Thank you. Thank you. And I will say, like, I feel like we've talked a lot about, like, the statistics and the studies, but, like, what I really, like, was trying to hold on to with this book was the stories, you know, to have the stories to help move us through this book, because I know for myself as a mom, like, I just want to read stories about other people, other moms who are, like, going through it. Mm -hmm. And so the stories of just, like, the different moms and their struggles and how they're dealing with their rage felt like the most important piece to me in this book was to like offer that to mothers to be like as validation like as you said you know so that mothers read this book and feel seen as opposed to like reading it and feeling like it's a homework project Mm -hmm. of like statistics you know yeah. I just really like science, which is why I glob onto statistics. Oh, I also really, I mean, I love the statistics. I needed the statistics because it, otherwise it was like, this mom just has an anger problem. I needed to show that, like, <laughs> the societal wide setup for anger. Yes, I love it. This mom just has an anger problem. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yes. I love it. Uh, well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And um, 
Yeah, we really look forward to sharing all of your wonderful resources with our listeners. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I really, it was really nice to talk to you both. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.